chair Bible next to you, um, I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8 together, but that said, I am going to read the whole chapter this morning to start us off. Now, just a little reminder of where we've been in Corinthians, Paul has been talking to the Corinthian church about the various gifts that the Spirit of God has given to the body of Jesus, to the church. Everyone who is a part of the body of Christ, the Messiah, this church, this assembly of people, everyone who is a part of it has a spiritual ministry that God has given to them. Not all of them are the same, but all of them are important and valuable. The goal of the different ministries that the Spirit works within His people is to bring good to the whole body, to all of God's people. So chapters 12 and chapter 14 in Corinthians are all about these different gifts of the Spirit that He gives. And right in the middle of those two chapters is chapter 13, where Paul pauses and says in chapter 12, verse 31, at the end of it, And yet now I will show you the most excellent way. In other words, there is a way of living that's even more excellent than being able to minister to others with all the various spiritual ministries that Paul has been talking about. This most excellent way will last, as we'll see, forever. 
going on and on, even when the ministries of the Spirit are no longer needed. Like, you ain't going to need healing in the new creation. Okay, that's the idea. And when these ministries are no longer needed, love will continue along with faith and hope. The most excellent way of living is the way of love. Love is so essential that people can claim to have all sorts of ministries of the Spirit within the body. But if they don't have love, their gifts are of no lasting value to the body of Christ. In fact, the way that Paul's going to talk here, these people who don't have love may not even know Christ. So I want you to listen along as I start in 1 Corinthians 12 at the very end of verse 31. Verse 31 is kind of chopped up funny, so most of your Bibles will probably have verse half of verse 31 and then a chapter heading and then the rest of verse 31. I don't know if you see that in your translation. So that's because whoever divided up the verses um, kind of maybe split the verse uh, in, in a place that wasn't helpful. So, chapter 13 should really start with the very end of verse 31 of chapter 12, if that makes sense. So, I'll start there in verse 31 at the very tail end. And yet, or and now, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I'll pause there for a second. Some of your translations, raise your hand if your translation says, if I surrender my body to be burned. Your translation say that um, this is a debate because there's a there's a typo in some manuscripts in, of, that we have some old ancient copies of the Bible have uh, the word boast and some have the word burn and it's like which one is older well there's actually old ones that have both and so then you have to say which one is makes the best sense in context and so that's what's going on because they're the words are spelled very similar <laughs> boast and burn are like two letters off so it could be, and sound almost the same when you pronounce them in Greek. So the, the question is, which is original? And that's why you have a little bit different translations. But hopefully as we get to it, you'll, you'll see that both of them basically mean the same thing. Um, if I give my body to hardship, and yet I don't have love, hardship on someone else's behalf, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, we'll talk about that in a few weeks, when I think it's the new creation comes, what is in part disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, in the new creation, when it comes in its fullness, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain into eternity, right? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So in these verses of chapter 13, Paul explains that love in verses 1 to 3 is essential. Then in verses 4 to 8, he describes what this love is like. It's not like this, and it is like this. So he's kind of, it's not this, it's not envious, but it is kind. And so that's verses 4 to 8. And then, in the last five verses, he explains that love remains forever, along with our faith, our trust, and our hope in the God that we love. So when Jesus returns and the ministries of tongues and prophecy and healing and service and mercy are no longer needed to strengthen the body, there will be love forever. So this morning we're going to be looking closely at verses 1 up through the beginning of verse 8. So there's kind of an overview of the whole chapter, and then we're going to spend three weeks in this chapter. And so this is the first week we're going to look at chapters, verses 1 to 8. So first, we're going to see why love is essential. Second, we'll look at what love is. And then third, we'll look at what love is not. And the main idea for this morning is actually the main idea for the whole of this chapter. So I'm going to be using this main idea for all three sermons that I preached out of 1 Corinthians, because the whole chapter is one main idea. But there's so much here that I wanted to break it up into three chunks for us. So here's the main idea. Love is essential to any ministry of the Spirit because love is the way the Spirit works. And unending love is what the Spirit aims to create in the people of God, in God's people. Love is essential to any of the ministries of the Spirit that Paul has been talking about, right? Love is essential to any ministry. Why? Because love is the way that the Spirit works. And unending love is what the Spirit aims to create in the people of God. In fact, it is not inaccurate to say that you and I were made for love. To know and love God, and to love others, and to fill eternity with God's love. Now, before we jump into these points and start working through the passage, I think it's really important that we take a moment to try to begin to wrap our mind around what the word love means. What is love? One of the best places to go in the Bible for a definition, I think, is John's Gospel. Not John's Gospel, John's letter that he wrote to the churches. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, verses 8 to 10. I'll start in verse 8. He wrote, God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, this loving Trinitarian God. 
who has had love of other at his core for eternity, Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, in the spirit of love for all eternity. God is love, and this is how this Trinitarian love shows itself among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, says John. Not that we love God, it didn't start with us, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the cross there. So, verse 8, John says, God is love. In other words, love is at the very core of God's identity. You do not get this with any mono-God of any other religion. This is a Trinitarian God. Only a Trinitarian God can be love for eternity. Because love of other, love requires another. Otherwise you have a narcissist on your hands. A Trinitarian God has had a son who he loves for all eternity. And the son has had a father who he loves. And the spirit of love between them, standing forth as the third person of the Trinity, has existed in relationship with each other for all eternity. Eternity. God is love. And this God of love gave his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. He sent Jesus in verse 9 that we might live through him. And we live through him through sacrifice. So at the very center of what love is in 1 John and in the Bible, Love is giving of your life to others that they may find life. Love is a deep care, a deep affection, a deep compassion, a moving of the heart towards others that longs to fill them with life and goodness and blessing. This is why God is love, because His Spirit is the source of all life and goodness and blessing in the universe. God looks at the barren and void in Genesis and he creates life by his word. God is a life-giving God. To cut yourself off from this God by rebellion is the definition of death. The opposite of life is life without God. The opposite of love of neighbor, then, is taking from them what has not been given take to you. Taking their money. So if love is giving life, then the opposite of love is taking what has not been given. Taking money. Taking time. Taking comfort, therefore causing pain. Taking their very life breath away in murder. Love is the giving of life, not the taking what has not been given. We're going to work through these first eight verses in three steps, as I mentioned earlier. Okay. Now that we have a working definition of love, we'll start to flesh this out as we go. We're going to look at why this love is essential. Second, we'll look at what love is. And third, we'll look at what love is not. And in all of these things, I'll try to help you see, again, how this definition of love from John's Gospel is behind everything that the biblical writers are going to say about love. So first, love is essential. 
Listen to Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast. But you do not have love. I gain nothing. So in these verses, what Paul is doing is he's, he's trying to help the Corinthians see that three of their very favorite ministries of the Spirit that they are enjoying in Corinth and holding up as the ultimate way that you can experience the Spirit's life. Tongues, prophecy, Miraculous powers that require faith, healing, service to others. All three of them can be done in unloving ways. And so be of no value to the church at all. So, in verse 1, Paul makes things personal. And he uses himself as an example. He says, if I, right, speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but I lack love. Those tongues that... Paul would use would only be like loud flashing noises that make people cringe and bring chaos instead of blessing. So there's a way to use the gift of tongues that is not loving to other people. Whether the Spirit's enabling you to speak actual known languages of men, like we see in the book of Acts, or whether you're speaking by the Spirit in a spiritual language unknown to men, which Paul calls the tongues of angels... Again, we've got a whole sermon coming on these things, but for now, I just want you to grasp the main point of what Paul is saying. He's saying you can use these gifts in ways that do not help other Christians. You can actually use them in ways that make other Christians feel insecure, sad, left out, that they don't have them. You can make use these gifts in ways that... You're using them, and the Christians around you are unable to concentrate, or think, or pray, or even read their Bibles, because you are speaking in tongues. You can speak in tongues in a way that does not bless others, or do others good with what you're doing, because all you're doing is sounding like a gong or a clanging cymbal. This is not love. got to wrestle with Paul, what Paul says here. 1 Corinthians 14 is going to show a more loving way to use tongues. Second, in verse 2, Paul keys in on prophecy. And some of the gifts of the Spirit that tend to show up with the ability to speak truth on God's behalf. He says, if I'm able to discern spiritual ministries, or spiritual mysteries, I mean, and have great knowledge about the things of God, and if I have a mighty faith, like the faith Jesus talked about, that could trust God enough to move mountains, not literally, but th this is a picture that you have great faith, a great trust in God. And yet, when you have no love for other Christians, your great gifts are nothing. They're of no ultimate or lasting value. In other words, you might teach people great profound truths from God's word. But apart from genuine love for other people, it will end up destroying the church of Jesus. 
Knowledge without love makes us use knowledge in a way that divides us from the family of Jesus. We posture ourselves as smarter, as better, as more informed, instead of using knowledge to serve and care for others. Prophets who proclaim truth and understand the Bible really well, and who have seen God answer prayer for them in mighty ways, but don't have a mighty affection towards people, even people that disagree with them, they will end up pushing people away and dividing the church and hurting it in the end. The third thing here in verse 3, Paul sees one final gift that he highlights. The gift, it seems to be the gift of service. He says that he pours himself into the ministry of serving others with poor people so much. He gives all he possesses to poor people. And translations, again, will vary here. I think the NIV, in the latest rendering of it, gets it correct. If I give over my body to hardship, that I might boast. This doesn't seem to be a bad, arrogant kind of boasting, but a, a boasting in suffering, that someone is suffering for Jesus. Paul talks about this kind of boasting in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he starts boasting about all the weakness and all the hardship and all the persecution that he's faced for the sake of Jesus. And he's like, Jesus has, I'm boasting in my weakness, right? You usually boast about things you're proud about, you know, like, I'm so good at this, so I'm going to brag about it. And Paul, Paul boasts in his weakness because it makes Jesus look good. Jesus uses him. And so that's what Paul, I think, is talking about here. If you just give everything away so that you may boast in Jesus and what he's doing through you, um, but you don't have love, you gain nothing. In other words, there's no heavenly reward from Christ. For those who pour themselves out sacrificially for others without genuine godly affection and care and compassion for the people that they're making sacrifices for. The reality is, it is very easy to begin to despise people that we sacrifice so much for. You give and you give and you give to the poor and then start to resent the fact that the poor are still poor. It's possible to pour out your life in the form of money given to a nonprofit, only to be filled with anger when your gift is not appreciated with the gratitude that you felt you were owed. Sadly, there is a way to give to others that looks like love, but in time, it is shown that you are only giving that you may take something away. Hell hath no fury like an unappreciated volunteer. They didn't appreciate my talent, so I'm going to take my ball and go home. Well, what were you doing it for anyway? But as we'll see, God aims to create us into a people who can love the unlovely. God's love has the power to help us show care to people even when it's not appreciated. Or when others say, you're not loving me right. And we can continue loving in these situations because ultimately we know we are always loved by God, even if people don't love us back. We don't love from a position of need, 
but from an overflow of the love that we have been given by the life-giving spirit of love who God has poured into our hearts. So, let's follow Paul now as he dives into describing what this love that we have been given looks like in action. He spent verses 1 to 3 saying humans can do things that really look loving for other people, and yet they can be done in ways that do not contain the spirit-driven, given drive to share life with other people like God has shared his life with us. So what we'll look at next is what love looks like in action, and then what love does not look like as we move towards others in life-giving ways. So what love is, that's the second point. Verses 4 up to the first word of verse 8. And I'm just going to read the positive descriptions of love. So what love is, and then we'll go back over these verses and see what love isn't. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Now, we're going to go through all these descriptions. And I'm not going to go super deep into each one. Because there's actually a lot here. Um, in two weeks, this is going to be the second sermon on this chapter. We're going to, on the 25th, uh, I'm going to preach a sermon on verses 4 to verse 8 at the beginning. On the, the love, the, what, what love looks like and what it doesn't look like. And it's going to be a sermon that the entire sermon is application. Okay? From beginning to end. What love looks like. What it, and, and I'll hopefully try to give examples, lots of examples. So if you're like, man, I wish you'd say more about that, there's, there's more coming. And then we'll tackle the end of the passage. So, first, love is patient. Older translations of this word into English will say love is long-suffering or I think the KJV would maybe forbearing. The idea here is that love is willing to suffer a long time, patiently, in, in loving people who are hard to love. You should think of Jesus here, who, for example, suffered long on the cross as he gave his life for people who are killing him. That is the patience Jesus calls us to. To bear up, to hold up, to be patient towards other human beings, even when showing them love is not reciprocated. To be able to be patient like this for the long haul, we must not let the reason that we're showing somebody affection and love and kindness and trying to give them life in the form of goodness towards them, we must not let it be rooted in them and in their worthiness of love, but in us and our will to share the love that God has given us for, with them. So patience is show, sharing the love that God has given you with others for the long haul, no matter how lovely they are or not. 
And we can talk about what that love looks like. It doesn't always look like Mr. Nice Guy. Okay? Sometimes it looks like hard truth speaking. But that's... We're a couple weeks from now. We'll have to unpack it more. Love is kind. Kindness. A steady, unwavering resolve in your heart to do someone good. A bent in your being. A posture towards doing good to other people with your words, your actions, your behaviors, your thoughts, your money, your time. Kindness. This is not just a simply being nice in a fakey, fake way to avoid conflict with someone or to get people to like you. No, kindness is a mighty resolve in your soul to treat others with goodness, whether you feel they deserve it or not. It's a generous goodness towards other people that seeks to do them good, regardless of their worthiness. Even a firm rebuke can be an act of full kindness. I love you enough to say no. Rather than write the Pharisees off, Jesus ate in their homes and rebuked them while he ate. That is kindness. Mighty kindness. Knowing they were going to kill him for it. He called them out. Kindly. Sometimes even using sarcasm to shake them awake. But it was done from a heart of kindness. He desired their good. That they would wake up and see the lie that they were living in. God is a kind God. If God was not kind to us, none of us would have a relationship with God. Love is kind. And love rejoices with the truth. In showing kindness, love does not deny the sinfulness of sinners or pretend it's not there. The Christian who is growing in kindness can see the absolute truth about someone's darkness and still treat them kindly, still desire to do them good. Our desire to do good to people in truth is rooted in the ultimate truth of who that person is. They are a sinner in need of kindness and goodness. Love rejoices with the truth. And now, a literal wooden translation of what comes next would be something like, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And, and it's kind of vague. What, what's, what's all the, what does this mean? And different translations are going to take different stabs at trying to help us understand what this means in English. Or you get the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, which reads just like what I read. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wait, love believes all things? Is love gullible? <laughs> the earth is flat. Well, I believe it because I love you. <laughs> I don't think that's what Paul means here. What's going on? As I look through the different translations and, and compare them with the original and the meanings of those words, I, I actually really think the NLT, the New Living Translation, I don't know if any of you have that here today, but the New Living Translation, um, they had a great translation team, and sometimes they, I think, do a really good job. And I think they, they really nail it here. So I'll, I'll, I'll share some of the way they translate it as we go. I think it's a little bit better than the NIV. 
That's what the NIV is bad. Again, some of these, it's, it's tough. It, being a translator is hard work. <laughs> and, and you run into some of this, your translations are going to say a different thing because it's hard work. And godly people disagree about different nuances. So, again, um, I'm trying to help us embrace the full meaning of what this concept of love, bearing all things, believing all things means. Uh, the NIV has love always protects. But the NLT has love never gives up. In other words, love is willing to not give up on people and to bear with people over the long haul and to try not to burn bridges with people. So protecting people's dignity, perhaps, is how the NIV is seeing it. Um, bearing with people by not just running into the relationship with a flamethrower and it's over. Protect that. Protect your relationship with them. But I, I, I like I like how the NLT says it. Love never gives up. In other words, it's willing to walk with them for the long haul. Love to not just take its ball and go home when it's rejected. It puts up with insults. It seeks to not let the sinful actions of someone else control our love for them. And where the text says love believes all things or always trusts. The, the NLT has love never loses faith. Faith and trust are the same word. Um, I think that is correct. Loving the way that we're called to love takes mighty trust in the God who says it's worth it and that he can hold us and sustain us and keep us through whatever rejection we face. If you love this way, you have to trust God. That you can be empty and he's going to fill you. Love trusts in God even when people cannot be trusted. And Paul says love hopes all things, which I think the NLT does well when they say love is always hopeful. When you look at someone and give up hope for them, it means you have stopped believing in the power of God to intervene in their life for their good. But love does not lose hope. Yes, love is realistic. Love is not naive. Love is not blind or stupid. Love is, if it's God's love, it's a wise love. But love always hopes in a sovereign God. Without hope, Love turns into cynicism, cynicism and despair. But love hopes because we serve the God of hope. One of my favorite benedictions, Romans 15, 13, Paul says, May the God of hope give you all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Love always hopes, no matter what wreckage a relationship looks like. There is always hope that God can work. Maybe it won't look the same. Maybe it was never healthy to begin with. Love always hopes that God will work, God can work in someone's life. And the NLT, love always perseveres. Um, the NLT says love endures. 
lasts a long time through every circumstance. Love is relentless. Like our God is relentless in his pursuit of sinful people. You know, I don't know if you read the Old Testament, so often you're struck with how Israel is just so stupid, right? Constantly running from God. But God is a relentless God in the Old Testament. He doesn't give up on people. These human partners who keep rejecting him again and again and again. Until we come to Jesus, the faithful Adam. So, we've looked at what love is. And now we're going to look at what love is not. And again, we're going to dive really more deeply into this in a couple weeks. What love is not. First, love does not envy. This does not mean love doesn't long for things that other people have and ask God, hey God, would you please give me a car? I feel like I need one. Um, look around. Others other have cars, Lord. Could, could you give me a car? Yeah, that doesn't mean, that's not what envy is. Love does not envy means it does not despise other people for what they have, but you don't. Love does not look at others and think, how dare they have that? I am more worthy than them. It's not fair that they have that and I don't. I work harder. I am smarter. I didn't do those bad things that they did. Why do they have what I don't? hate them for it. Envy views the world only through the lens of justice and fairness as I see it. And it's unable to rejoice with those who rejoice. Envy can only mourn and grieve while others rejoice and gloat over those who are sad at losing something that you wish you had. them right. They didn't deserve it in the first place. Second thing, love does not boast and it is not proud. The one who is proud and boasts seeks to raise himself up above others. You see how great I am? Notice me. See how much better my achievements are? See how many more toys I have than the next guy? Not all of us actively engage in boasting, but all of us, the Bible would have us see that all of us at times engage in pride, in self-exalting pride. Even, I want you to get this, this is not, this type of um, thinking that I'm going to um, explain in a second doesn't come intuitively to us. You have to really think about this. Even the person who despises themselves, I'm not proud, I, I hate myself. Even the person who despises themselves and refuses to accept the love of God and kindness from others towards them because they feel they don't deserve it, that's actually a very arrogant position. Rejecting the love of others is a form of sinful pride. It's twisted, but it's still pride. Because it says your standards of who should and who should not receive love are actually better standards than the person who's trying to show you love. Or better than even God's standards. Basically, when you reject the love of others because you don't feel you're worthy of it, it says, how dare you love me? 
My standards are better than that. So get away from me. That is arrogance. That's pride. Humility receives love. Even when you don't feel it's deserved. Because God never gives love that's deserved. Ultimately, all his love is unearned and undeserved. Third, love does not dishonor others. In other words, love respects the humanity of all humans everywhere. We seek not to shame people. Even when humans do shameful things, love is able to honor their dignity as human beings, even as it works to address their dishonorable actions with truth and hold them accountable. Love does not seek to drag humans through the mud. It mourns the shameful things they do and seeks to convince them it's not honorable, but we do not seek to actively dishonor humans. Love is not self-seeking. Love gives and gives with no strings attached. Love does not treat others kindly simply because it's seeking something from them, seeking to be noticed and loved back. No, love is not self-seeking. Love seeks to pour itself out for others for their good and delights to do so and can only really do that if we, we can only really do that kind of love if we have a limitless source of life and strength and love to draw from. And as Christians, this is God himself. Love is not easily angered. The person who is easily angered is a reactionary person. They let the words and actions of others control them instead of letting love control them. The reactionary person says, my anger is your fault. Buckle up. But the love we are called to does not fly off the handle in anger at the sins of others, whether real or imagined. Instead, when God's love grows angry at real evil, love moves carefully and deliberately and decisively and brings evil to an end with Justice and truth and even kindness. How long was God planning the cross when he moved towards evil with the death of his own son? Before the foundations of the world. Not easily angered. When love grows angry, it seeks to overcome evil with good. Sixth, love keeps no record of wrong. Love forgives and forgives and forgives. We are a people of release. Love is bent towards releasing sinners of their sin because we have been released from our sins by a releasing God. The word forgiveness means release. We are a people of great release. We have been released from the penalties of our sins. Karma does not run the world. What goes around comes around. You get what you deserve. No. The gospel is the opposite. We get what we do not deserve because of the goodness and kindness of our Savior. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love does not ignore the consequences of people's sins or pretend that sin didn't happen, but love doesn't keep bringing up the sins of others and rubbing the record of their sins in their faces. Love longs to see sin dealt with at the Love does not delight in evil. It's not loving to delight and rejoice in what hurts humans and dishonors God. 
love never fails. Love is relentless and unfailing and unfaltering in showing kindness and goodness and patience to others. Love is everything that God the Father is to us in Christ. Love doesn't give up on people. So friends, as we wrap this up, I hope you feel two things. I hope you see the beauty of the love that we're called to and the love that will dwell in us forever in the new creation. Like the new creation will run on this love. This is stunning, the love to which we're called. I want this in my life. I find it attractive, not unrealistic, beautiful. And there is hope that one day we will all experience this fully. But I want more of it even now. So I hope you find it attractive. This is the Bible's vision of love. But the second thing I hope you feel is how utterly impossible this kind of love is for humans to accomplish in our own strength. Only people who know, know deep down that they are loved by God, not because of what they deserve, but because of who He is. Only people who know they are loved by God and filled with His love can become overflowing fountains of never-ending, never-giving-up love to other people. It is natural for us to love what is attractive and beautiful to us. And that is not wrong. It is natural to want to give your life and your money and your attention to what delights your heart. That's natural. I give time to hunting because I enjoy it. That's not wrong. But it is supernatural to want to love what is unlovely. That the unloving thing, unlovely thing, might actually be filled with the same love that's in you. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. One way love. That's the message of the Bible. This is what is unique about the love of God. Martin Luther famously wrote this. He said, the love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. Doesn't, God does not just discover some loving person. If there is anything loving, good, beautiful in the universe, it's there because he put it there. God created this universe and he fills it with goodness and beauty and life. His goal is through us to fill it with his own love by the Spirit. It is the great desire of the Trinitarian God that we serve to create the love that has been between Father and Son for eternity, to create that in the hearts of his people, your heart and mine, so that we would expand it to other people. But we must know it. We must know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, says Paul. This mind-blowing love of the Trinity that God, Romans 5 says, has poured in his heart, your heart. The love of God has been shed abroad, the old language says, poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given us. As we go to the table, the Lord's Supper, my prayer for you is that through this remembrance 
and from Jesus' sacrifice. God might crack the door of our hearts open just a bit more to taste and touch what the Bible means when it says he gave his life for us. This is love that God gave. Everything here that we have in this universe is a gift from God. He is a giver, the giver of life, and he gives us life, though we have rejected him through his son. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask if um, Carol Knights and uh, Johanna, would you guys be willing to come up and serve us the words? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your love. God, we sang earlier, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Lord, your love is like a fountain. So often our love is like a little pool. Just a few cups and it's empty. I pray, Lord, that you would create a never-ending fountain of love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that we can give and give and love and love and always have enough because of you. May we love like you love. May we see what is not beautiful and want to fill it with compassion and love because that's what you have done for us. Please, God, Work in the hearts of, in my heart, in the hearts of all of us at New Creation Church, that we would be known by our love for others and our love for you. Apart from you, this is out of reach. But by the power of your Spirit, you have promised to be with us. Help us, we pray.